Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with Sparkles for Better Mental Health. And today I'm extremely excited to have Dr. Gina Simmons on the show. Welcome, Gina. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and meet you. I'm very excited to have the author of a book that's called Frazzle Brain on the <laughs> show because I deal with frazzle brains every day. Now, you are a licensed psychotherapist, executive coach, and corporate trainer. You also serve as a co-director of Schneider Counseling and Corporate Solutions. And you are the author of Frazzle Brain Break Free from Anxiety, Anger, and Stress Using Advanced Discovery in Neuropsychology. So you are a coping skill expert with more than 25 years of experience helping people regulate difficult emotions and conflicts. Now you have a whole host of other qualifications that I'll put underneath the video, but I want to let you speak. Why are you doing what you're doing? What inspired you to write Frazzle Brain and what is it anyway? Oh, well, thank you for that wonderful intro and question. I have been doing therapy and coaching for decades now. And everybody the word, the word of the day is frazzled, right? Um, I think we've lived through the last two and a half years of global pandemic. We've got global uh, strife. People have personal upheaval in their relationships and struggles with all kinds of things in daily life. So the, that in working with people too, who are trying to manage conflict, because we specialize in conflict management, both management, both in the workplace and at, at uh, home, uh, again, people are feeling stressed, frazzled, anxious, worried, angry. Um, so what I found in the literature is that anxiety or this feeling of inner conflict and uh, inner turmoil um, and anger tend to go together. And that's been known since Sigmund Freud way back. Um, and uh, even before that, the philosophers talk about, you know, anger and anxiety kind of linked. Uh, we get irritable and, and feel um, uh, when we're, when our, when we feel angry or anxious, we feel angry when we feel angry. It's usually because we have underlying anxiety or worry. So um, then we, we have stress, like real life stuff that happens like the plumbing leak or stress at work. Um, and that three-headed monster of anxiety, anger, and stress tends to create this condition that I call frazzle brain, where we have poor concentration, we feel irritable, we feel pressure to do something, uh, this sort of uh, feeling of urgency, and yet at the same time drained and sort of fatigued. So I call that frazzle brain. And most people, I think, resonate when you hear the term, you sort of know what that feels like. And what I found in the literature is that there are really specific things we can think and do that make us feel better. And everybody can do it. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and a lot of these things are very easy shifts. It doesn't require years of psychotherapy to, um, to manage. But if we do start making that a daily practice of managing our emotions, managing these difficult emotions, our well-being goes up and it also has a positive effect on our health. So that's what got me into writing this book is, is working with people and their real life 
concerns. And there are many of them, I'm sure. Now, frazzle brain is many. I have a question before we get into how we get out of the frazzle strain. Where does depression come in in that triad? You talked about stress, anxiety, anger. There are people that are also depressed. Exactly. Maybe not angry to the outside. Where does it fit in? Well, I think the thing about depression is it it often can be accompanied by other underlying emotions such as anger that maybe we've internalized or we don't know how to cope with or deal with or also internal conflicts. I think also when people are experiencing a lot of anxiety, anger, and stress for a long period of time, that can lead to depression and also trauma, right? Which um, sort of, there is this sort of frazzle brain depression link. Um, We can feel um, overwhelmed by life and the, and, and at the way it works in our brain is there is this default network, the dorsal raphe nucleus, where if we are overwhelmed, if our coping skills are overwhelmed, we can go into depression or anxiety and mm-hmm. sometimes a depressed anxiety. Um, so they can kind of go together. And it's interesting that the latest research shows that that's sort of the default mode of our brain. If we don't have skills to cope with something, we'll go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? And depression is really kind of a feeling of being frozen, of of being stuck, of being unable, hopelessness, a feeling of hopelessness. So, so that that default mode of the brain. we go into that when we don't know what else to do, when we don't have coping skills that we that we can reliably use that can pull us out of a difficult period. And so that's that's really what my book is about. Even though my book doesn't specifically focus on depression, the skills in it, the coping skills in it can really help people who are experiencing depression because it's 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 finding another way to deal with it. It's sort of like, like uh, people who do security for um, for uh, presidents and famous people, and they are trained to turn towards the gunshot and run towards the shooter, <laughs> which, you know, is a coping skill for defending people who need to be defended. And they are trained to do that. And they are trained to cope with their fear about that and how to use their fear in um, providing security for other people. So we can all learn to cope with overwhelming situations if we study those skills and practice them. We can become very proficient at it and basically kind of hold ourselves through difficult periods um, so that we cope better. Now, Dina, I think that is a very important topic because in this world, many, many, many people are overwhelmed and they don't know what to think of this world of uncertainty, of upheaval, of change, constant change. And uh, the the media, of course, uh, towed in fear because fear sells. And what can somebody do that is suffering from brain and wants to learn those coping skills there's Rudy back in the background oh boy hi there what's his name 
His okay. name is Rudy. Rudy is the sparkle dog. Rudy. Oh, by the way, he's of course. I think Rudy he has a frazzle brain. <laughs> well, well, I love animals, so he's welcome to join our discussion. <laughs> yeah, my husband is just bringing me a tea. Thank you, darling. I'm oh, so right. lucky I work from home and oh. have a wonderful husband. He always thinks of me. That's so wonderful. Well, you know, the thing about frazzle brain is it, what gives us the coping skills are three tools, three basic tools, um, focused thoughts, focusing our thoughts in a direction that is helpful as opposed to focusing our thoughts in a direction that's harmful, um, intentional behaviors. So choosing to behave in a way that is known to be helpful as opposed to falling back on behaviors that are harmful or not helpful. Mm-hmm. So intentional behaviors, focused thoughts, and then cultivating healing experiences. Cause many of us have been through trauma. Certainly um, you, you can't really get through life without some kind of trauma um, uh, because it's just part of, part of life. Most of us are going to have some, some difficult experiences in our life. So, so ha- cultivating healing experiences can also be a choice there are certain things we know in the brain that can only be healed from new experiences. Um, Trauma, for example, like the trauma of witnessing a a very violent act or being a victim of of violence, those sorts of really um, extreme behaviors that, that shake up our sense of normal Mm -hmm. and cause us to feel um, overwhelmed and unsafe, you know, those traumatic experiences. Um, when we go through a traumatic experience, our brain is designed to never forget that to, to help us survive. And, uh, the amygdala is, is one of those, uh, uh, parts of the brain, as I know you, you know, well about, and it, it sort of relays information. Well, it can also, um, the, the amygdala and the hippocampus can also kind of be damaged with repeated trauma. So we, when we want to heal that damage, we need new healing experiences because that's how the amygdala and hippocampus learn is from experience. In other words, you can't just think your way with positive affirmations and a nice mindset um, that uh, all that trauma is going away because I'm just thinking positive. You know, it would be nice if that worked. It doesn't. Our brain needs an experience. Our brain needs a new experience of, oh, this group of people were hostile to me, but this group of people is kind and welcoming to me. Hmm. And I have now repeated experiences with kindness and safety and helpfulness and um, connection that that then give my brain uh, uh, new information that I can overlay on it. Um, there's this, this uh, Dr. Julie Smith, who's an uh, Instagram star, and she does these beautiful videos. Um, she's a psychologist from the UK. And um, she did a beautiful video about trauma as this big black hole, right? We feel sometimes like it's this blackness, and she painted this sort of black spot, you know, big spot. And we can kind of feel like that's everything in our life is this this trauma, right? And she said, but then you have a new experience and she takes like a bright yellow paint and draws a a, a 
bright yellow circle around the, the black spot. And then we have another experience and she does a bright red and then bright purple. And these each of these experiences then overlays the trauma. And at the end, you have this beautiful picture. She shows you this beautiful rainbow and there's a little black in the middle, right? But that is really how we heal from trauma is those new healing experiences Mm -hmm. that we can intentionally choose and look for. And that is also how the brain heals is from those new experiences. So uh, the healing experiences chapters in my book uh, relate to things such as um, spending time in nature and forest environments, for example, because we know they have natural healing properties giving ourselves permission to experience awe and wonder that we can often experience through great beauty, artistic beauty, excellence, um, great literature, uh, again, walks in the woods, uh, an outstanding waterfall, and the sparkles that you talk about in the sky, you know, the web telescope. The starry night isn't it awe-inspiring? Different strengths. It's, it's so. awe-inspiring. Yes. And this, these new photos from the web telescope of our universe are just staggering in, in how beautiful they are and also how they inspire this sense of awe and wonder, which is known to have anti-inflammatory properties in the body and known to help us heal from trauma. So that's just one of the tools in the healing experiences. Um, Certainly we need to to look for uh, loving relationships, welcoming environments, and and other things that, again, give us that new experience in the the rainbow of our life so that it isn't just this this black hole. Now, Gina, I really love how you say that, that we can paint over that black hole in little steps. And I think it's very important to emphasize that all this takes time. Yes, the brain can change to a normal state, but it won't happen overnight. And it's not a magic pill. We all have to want it and work for it and add it. And I love how you, that that, that painting a picture, I really love it. Now, let me ask, you said to start, with the steps to unfrazzle the brain, you would start with focusing on helpful things. Now, we live in a world where so many people have exactly a problem with focus. They can't, they get distracted, they focus on their phone, on the TV, on the computer all day, the screen is flickering, interruptions, they can't really focus. How do they learn to focus and what are helpful things. Well, you're, you're bringing up a really incredible point. We, you know, our culture has changed so much so rapidly and, um, and our brains haven't really caught up with how to deal with constant stimulation from screens and um, constant information overload. And also indiscriminate information overload, like all kinds of things that we haven't chosen 
you know, we haven't necessarily chosen to look for wrinkle cream, but it's showing up on our Facebook feed because we're of a certain age, you know? And so now all of a sudden we should be looking at wrinkle cream for our faces, whatever. So a lot of this is stuff that we haven't really intentionally chosen and we haven't really um, uh, focused on. So what I recommend in, in, the, in the book in terms of the focused thoughts is to spend a little time with yourself thinking about what are my goals? What do I really care about? What do I value? And so important. are my behaviors matching what I value? Because mm-hmm. my happiness level, my satisfaction level, and my you know joy and well-being is going to go up the more than I'm putting intentional actions and thoughts into the things I truly care about, rather than being a passive recipient of all of the this bombardment of, of stuff from the world. So that might mean, and I, I do that myself, I keep my phone out of the room I'm in when I want to do something focused, you know, um, uh, setting our intention for the day and what do we want to be doing and thinking about that day as opposed to um, just allowing thoughts and feelings to randomly emerge in our head with, with this sort of randomness um, and no, no intention to it, no focus to it. Um, I do think that we are seeing, and you're probably looking at the same literature I am, that, that uh, attention is, is becoming more and more limited because we're, we're wired to, think in very short sound bites. Um, people I know who, who used to love to read books are saying they're having trouble focusing on reading a book because we're looking at Twitter. And if it's not something that could be understood in one sentence, um, we're not looking at things within a context. Um, and that's causing us more agitation. Mm. Uh, the more we have to mentally shift from one idea to another or one activity to another, it's draining energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so razzled and tired, right? It, it, it makes us feel more and more irritable. Yeah. The other thing about, you know, the, the addiction we're having to screen time is it's, it's, it's overloading our dopamine system, right? So we're, it's draining us of motivation because dopamine makes us motivated. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm motivated to talk to Dr. Christine. You know, I I want to be up for this for this uh, podcast episode, and um, so I'm I'm highly motivated for that, right? So, it, but if I'm if I'm distracted, I've got these beeps going on in the background, and I'm thinking about this and that. That um, then that's pulling my attention and draining me and making me feel a little more internally conflicted and not very focused. So I do recommend, um, and you know, for for most of my clients, to limit um, and have you know vacations from your from your phone, um, vacations from screens, because they are dead things. You know, in a way, we're we're spending a lot of our time paying attention to dead things. I'm always dismayed when I'm at a family dinner somewhere and somebody phone makes ding ding and immediately the conversation is interrupted the phone gets the attention now come on that's a dead thing as you said wouldn't you rather talk with a person 
or even worse, when there's a family and they call the kids for supper and they text them on the phone, although they are just in the same house. There's a calling feature of our mouth. Well, it is interesting how technology has changed our behavior. And now it's the technology that's shaping us instead of we're deciding we're in charge of what we want to be doing. Mm. So, so it does, you know, and, and I, and I feel for people because I I've noticed the same thing with myself. I've had to discipline myself because there, there is so much entertainment at your fingertips. I can listen to music and somebody sent me a YouTube video and, you know, there's all these fun uh, TikTok things that make you laugh. And um, so it's not that it's all bad. I just think that what helps people is to make it more intentional so I am going to look at my phone now and check my emails and answer my texts. And now, and then I'm going to give myself an hour. I'm going to put it down. Now I'm going to do something else. I'm going to keep it in the other room or turn it off or whatever. So if you can start disciplining yourself to do that, you're, you're going to notice your sense of happiness going up. And TV is the same. I mean, television has always been a, a bit of a problem. Um, uh, I know parents... I know when my boys were really young, um, they started getting really cranky and irritable. And and we allowed them to watch television after school, after they got their homework done. And so finally we thought, you know what? I'm just going to ban television Monday through Friday. Television's a treat, an entertainment treat at the end of the day on Friday and Saturday. And then all of a sudden in the evening, they're creating things. They're playing with Legos. They're reading more they're happier. Um, it took about three days to detox them from the television. But um, I think the same thing goes for our, our devices. We need to detox from them and be in present in our, in our daily lives. Because there is something quite calming about taking a walk and just observing your neighborhood or observing what's going on and being present in your body and the sound of your footsteps and allowing yourself to be a little bored, you know, be a little open to observing new experiences. There's and always something going on when you listen to the rustle of the leaves, you feel the wind brushing against your skin when you really pay attention to it. And then you smell it. I live close to the ocean. The salt oh. water is amazing. I love it is. sitting at the beach, listening to the waves rolling in. What a calming noise. Exactly. And that be, and you won't notice it if you're, if you're not present mentally, right? You could be at the beach and we see that we see people at the beach. I remember there's a New Yorker cartoon that has um, all these people on the beach and they're all on their cell phones. And there's this little child in the foreground who picks up a, a shell, a conch shell, and puts it up to her ear like it's a phone. And, and it's, it's, it's a sad commentary on our modern life that, mm. you know, these devices can make things very interesting and fun and, and, and easier for us in some ways, but they are shaping our brains and they are shaping our nervous systems. And we want to be careful with that and, and limit that so that we can really be more the master of our own emotional journey rather than the sort of the victim of the, the cultural oh. pressures. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think the beach too is, is there's a lot of studies on blue spaces, right? Rivers, lakes, oceans, and uh, being present in nature. How, how it has such a calming. It's one of those healing experiences that really can help us recover from suffering. Now, we talked a lot about nature and being in nature, and I'm a big fan of that. Uh, what else can people do if they want to get focused on helpful things of what they really want to do instead of just being able to uh, listing what they don't want, which is typical for depressed people? You ask them, what, oh, I don't want to be there. Right. It's hard to find out what they want. <laughs> they don't know. I do think you're right. Sometimes we don't know what we want, right? So, and and the reason we don't know what we want is we haven't lately asked ourselves the question, right? Oh. It's like, oh, I can choose what I want. I'm I don't I'm not just on a treadmill of life having to just kind of keep going and not think about what I want. Um and and so I think sometimes it helps to take time to be with yourself, just sometimes a little bit of time, and then allow yourself to imagine something that might delight you. Um, and, and the way you can start is thinking about recent times when you felt good or calm or uh, productive or uh, curious or um, excited, uh, a spark, a sparkle, right? A little bit of a sparkle or an excitement. What was happening in that time? You know, were you excited about a new idea? Were you excited about a piece of music? Were you uh, curious about a, a time in history? Was there something going on that, that tickled your brain? And then allow yourself to imagine, I have an exercise that I uh, talk about in my book that I have my clients use that's very effective and powerful for shifting your mindset away from depression and anxiety and stress. It's called the compelling fantasy. And there are simple rules to the compelling fantasy. One is it's a fantasy that you, when you think about it, it makes you feel good to think about. Two, that it doesn't have any hostile or vengeful motive, like the 101 ways I can tell off my nasty boss, you know, um, that might delight you in the moment, but it's not really a good strategy for overall well-being to be having hostile kinds of fantasies. So it's something that makes you feel good. It's not hostile. Um, sexual fantasies are fine for sexual stimulation, but for the exercise of calming and, and um, thinking about things that make you feel good, I don't recommend sexual fantasies because they can get you all riled up. And um, this compelling fantasy is to get your mind thinking in a very creative and um, more pleasant, uh, warm, uh, calm kind of state of mind, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so I, I give people a lot of examples. So it could be um, the ideal vacation fantasy where you can just have pick any travel companion in your in, in your imagination. It could be anybody from history. You could be traveling with a historical figure. Um, it, it could be anything that delights you to think about. I have 
still as as my one of the people I would love to travel with would be the late Robin Williams, the comedian who I um, really loved. And he made me laugh and he still makes me laugh today, even though he's passed away. Um, but, uh, uh, I can make up have, having an airplane conversation with him as we travel to Italy and, you know, so, so on and so forth. The important thing about the compelling fantasy is that it has lots of detail. So if you're doing the ideal vacation fantasy, you might even go into the detail of your packing list and what luggage would you carry and who would be your companion and what airport would you go to, or would you travel by boat? Um, you're not limited by time and space. So you could be in a space shuttle. You could be on the web telescope. Um, you're not limited. Sound, sorry, it sounds like an awesome activity to do with the whole family. Yes. I Yes. We, we recommend that um, uh, to, to families to find, discover things within each other. Uh, in fact, one of the things we used to do on family hikes is we would do storytelling and one of us would start a story and each one would add to the story and we could get a window into each other, other's creative imaginations and we could delight each other and try to surprise each other with fun twists and turns in the story. What this does is it creates mental agility, which is a sign of mental health. It also activates different neurotransmitters in the brain. When we are delighting ourselves, we can do that instantly. You don't need years of therapy. We could all be thinking about walking through a lemon orchard and picking a, a lemon off a tree and peeling it and the sweet and sour taste in our mouth. And all of a sudden our mouths are salivating and we have changed our entire brain chemistry just imagining a walk in a citrus orchard. My mouth is watering now. Anyway, um, but you know, that's a moment where we are actually changing our biology just from our thoughts. And there's more and more research coming out that is really astounding about how our thoughts, directing our thoughts in certain directions, changes our physiology and can make us feel better. And we're very empowered. So the compelling fantasy is a lot of details. It could be your ideal dream house fantasy. You can always change it. Oh, I don't want the log cabin in the woods. I want a penthouse in Manhattan, you know, um, it, but whatever it is, you, you're making it up and you're designing it and you're working with the furniture and um, it could it, anything. Um, your fantasy could be about anything, rock star fantasy, uh, playing at Carnegie Hall, playing cello for, you know, with the symphony orchestra, um, whatever it is that, that delights you, it's important to allow that because the thing that makes us miserable uh, and, and, and magnifies our suffering is our imagination being used to make us suffer. It's our imagination saying this is really terrible and the world's coming to an end and everything's awful and, or I'm worthless or I'm a terrible person or you know, our imagination is, is flooding ourselves with all of these ideas and images that torment us and they don't need to because they're kind not of culture ourselves. Yes. It's I know a German poet, Wilhelm Busch had a wonderful image. He had a little uh, a man sitting on the, on, on the bed and there was a little devil with his spit in his, uh, through his head and the devil was 
turning the spit in his head. Ooh, that was an image powerful. of a headache, and we are giving it to ourselves. I love that. It that is a really powerful image, and that is how it feels sometimes, right? It's that we're tormenting ourselves, and we give ourselves headaches. We really do. We give ourselves stress stress headaches Absolutely. by that kind of inner torment, and it's not necessary. Mm. There's because ways to change it. And well, yeah. therapy, of course, is one of very powerful ways. So if you can't do it yourself, by all means, seek a good therapist, one that you resonate with. And it may not be the next best, but look until you find somebody that you resonate with. Now, what do you think is the role of journaling and expressive writing in that context? Expressive writing is wonderful because, you know, it helps us name our feelings. Sometimes feelings can feel like we are in this vast dark ocean and we're underwater and we can't breathe and we're being tossed, maybe a tossed about, we don't know up from down. And it can make us feel so overwhelmed and lost. But as soon as we start to name it, like I've been tossed in, in the ocean and I've had that feeling of, oh no, you know, I'm running out of air and I don't know where the ground is and I don't know how to get air yet. But a part of my brain said, the wave will recede and then I can see where I'm at, you know? Um, and it did. And I was able to find air. So if we have something in the back of our brain saying, this is what's causing my suffering right now, this specific thing, my husband tells me he doesn't love me. Um, my boss has indicated I might be fired. Um, this specific thing is what's causing me to feel tumult, you know, some kind of tumult. Or the specific thing could be, I have a diagnosis of depression and I woke up feeling really blue today. Mm. That could be the specific thing. Ah, depression, I feel blue. Um, what do I do about depression? There are certain behavioral things you do to treat depression. You move your body, you do some action, you redirect your thoughts, you call a friend or your therapist, you eat a healthy eat breakfast, mm. you eat a healthy breakfast, right? High protein, high fruits and vegetables kind of veg breakfast. Um, these are things that you can learn how to do. And all of a sudden your depression is lifting, right? So, uh, and it doesn't take years of therapy to help yourself feel better because even people with chronic depression have good days, right? So, you know, you can make more good days. So, um, so I'm just, I'm not meaning to trivialize oh, no, absolutely. mental I, illness I totally at all. I agree with that. You can totally you, recover from depression. You can. It's treatable. having to yeah. take pills for years and years and years it is treatable it is reversible i'm a, i'm a poster child for that so thank you very much for stating that it's absolutely true now gina we had a wonderful conversation but i need to slowly wrap this up uh, i will put your website chryselbrain.com what could else could it be <laughs> underneath the video and in the description to help uh uh people to go there if they want to learn more ways to manage anxiety, anger, stress, frazzle, depression, all those emotions that we don't like as much. And uh, 
what are other ways to contact you and a few last words to leave them with a few Thank you. It's been lovely talking with you. And I I am on social media um, and I do um, respond to social media, despite the fact that I also put my phone away. (laughs) So (laughs) I recommend both um, if you if you enjoy social media. So I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, but if the best way to, uh, and, and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram and, um, you can, uh, the best way to find my links easily is just go to frazzlebrain.com and, um, and you'll get updates on, on events and things like that, that I'm doing. And I would love to hear how people feel after this interview, I will get back to you. I'm also on Facebook. Um, so if you're interested in, in following up and learning more, um, I'm happy to talk with anybody. Um, and to, I'd like to leave people maybe with also, uh, the notion that, um, and Susan Kane has written about this in her wonderful new book, bittersweet, which I highly recommend that, that a lot of times life comes at us in a bittersweet situation, you know, um, you can, um, uh, you know, get engaged to be married and find out that your mother just got diagnosed with cancer, right? So you have this joy, and then you have this sadness, um, or this worry. And this is often how life comes at us. It comes at us in, and we can feel multiple feelings at the same time. We've been to memorial ceremonies where we're laughing, we're remembering, with, we're feeling feelings of love for the, our departed and the other people at the at the funeral, and um, but at the same time, we're also feeling grief, right? So, what what helps us cope is to allow ourselves, our minds, to linger on the sweetness that is always there. There's always sweetness there. There's the sweetness of a hug from a loved one, the sweetness of a beautiful rose on a bush, the sparkles in the sky from the stars that you talk about. So even if we're in the midst of a bitter period of our lives, there's always sweetness there. And that can help us through. There's beauty. There's inspiration for creativity. So I would urge everyone to look for the sweetness in your life. Thank you so much, Gina. That's a wonderful thing. Appreciate the little things in life. There's always something to find that's sweet. It doesn't necessarily have to be chocolate, but it can be. That's good too, though. (laughs) I'll make sure that all the links are underneath so that people can contact you. Anybody that comments on that video here on YouTube or on my website, I will make sure Dr. Gina gets your comments so she can uh, uh, respond uh, unless you don't leave me a name and email and I can't do nothing about it, but <laughs> I hope to do. And thank you so very much, Gina, for that inspirational and enlightening talk. Thank you so much, Dr. Christine. I'm really thrilled to meet you and I am so admire your work and what you're doing. I always say when Two people sparkle together or more. But what do we have? Fireworks. Oh, I love it. I love it. So let this kind of fireworks spread through the world and enlighten it even more. I agree. (laughs) In that sense, thank you so much for listening to Sparkles for Mental Health. And uh, make sure you don't miss the next episode. Bye-bye.